Welcome to the London Walks podcast, presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. Welcome back. It's part two of the London Walks podcast on crime and punishment. I'll be discussing the craze and crime in the swinging 60s in a few minutes' time. But in the meantime, we're handing back over to our colleague Richard, Richard III, on his London Walks Crime and Punishment Tour. Now, in medieval times, your trial was trial by ordeal or trial by combat. Combat, we know what that is, don't we? Have a fight, exactly. Have a fight. That was only for the elite, that was only for the knights and the barons. In other words, you had a fight. Whoever won the fight was the innocent party. Sorted, yeah? The other way most people had to endure this was trial by ordeal. Ordeal of fire or ordeal of water. Ordeal of fire, you had to pick up a red-hot iron brand. It was uh, iron, heated to be red-hot. Walk three paces with it, then you could drop it. Then they'd bandage your hands. Three days later, they'd take the bandages off. If your hands were healing, you were innocent. If not, you were guilty. Trial by water. They would tie your wrists together, tie your ankles together, throw you into water. If you sunk, you were innocent. If you floated, you were guilty. Yeah. You may see the drawback in this method of dealing well, with people. Well, then you always float your That seems rational. Didn't they this say, like, not if rational... you survive, then you're a witch, so you should die? We'll get to witches later. Don't you worry. We'll get to witches. And just because you're men doesn't think you can get away with it, by the way. Men can be witches. So who's left-handed here? Joe. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you just put your hands up to being witches. So we're going to burn you lot at the stake. So, then we get a slight improvement on this method of trial by combat and ordeal. 12.15. What happened then? There's a lot about this at the moment. Magna Carta, very good. He was listening at school. 1215, Magna Carta. Exactly 800 years ago, we get trial by jury. A slight improvement on that fire and water and have a fight thing. And so, this is one of the basic tenets of the British legal system that we have today. Now, in medieval times, nearly everybody lived in the land. On the land, 95% of people. This was an easy world to control because people were tied to the land under the ties of feudalism. You worked for three days for your feudal landlord, so he didn't pay you anything. This is not a wage economy. And then the rest of the week, he'd give you a bit of land to work, just to feed yourself, maybe make a bit of extra money to clothe your family, and you never left that land. You couldn't. It's not the sort of freedoms we have today. You never left that land. Perhaps you'd never seen the village on the other side of the hill. You were tied to the land. That is an easy world to control. You know who everyone is, and you know exactly where they are. But then with the development of medievalism, more and more people leave the land as the tide, the feudal ties loosen, and they head conglomerations of population. They head for towns and cities. No longer t- 
tied to a particular place, no longer with a master. Who are these people? What are they up to? How are we going to control them? And the mother of all these towns and cities, the largest by far, the city of London. The legend of the craze looms large in London to the extent that I am always surprised to find that their infamy has travelled not at all well. They remain notorious mainly in this country. Twin brothers Ronald and Reginald Cray were born in Hoxton, East London in 1933 and began their career in crime with a number of protection rackets in the East End, graduating to long firms, fraudulent businesses trading on credit and selling the goods on without payment. Their violent modus operandi would soon lead to murder. Indeed, a central part of the Cray myth is that each brother goaded the other when it came to their graduation to what Ronnie in particular viewed as the ultimate crime. The matter came to a head when Ronnie became the first of the twins to kill. The shooting of George Cornell in the Blind Beggar Pub, Whitechapel, on the 9th of March 1966 is central to the Cray myth not least because it ropes in another gang of the time, the Richardsons. Out of the East End's code of silence, omerta as the Mafia call it, honour among thieves, the legends grew as profligate as London pride on a bombsite. The most persistent of these myths being that the record playing on the jukebox as Ronnie Cray pulled the trigger was the Walker Brothers performing the sun ain't gonna shine anymore. The Crays had their portrait taken by famous photographer David Bailey and published alongside those of Lennon and McCartney and Michael Caine in the 60s. The picture is the very personification of that phrase from the baptismal rite, the glamour of evil. It is part of the National Portrait Gallery's collection. The marketing campaign for the new movie about the lives of the Cray twins, entitled legend seems very keen to draw upon that glamour. There is no movie on the Richardsons, the South London family headed up by Charlie Richardson and his brother Eddie. In the 1960s the Richardsons were involved in a number of turf wars with the Crays. The aforementioned George Cornell had defected to the Richardsons from the Cray gang. Charlie Richardson was ostensibly a scrap metal dealer while Eddie operated in the field of slot machines. Both professions were a front for various rackets, extortion, money laundering, drugs, usury and murder. The very name, Richardson, speaks of dowdy southeast London. It lacks the whiplash consonant that heralds the name Cray. No Savile Row suits and Knightsbridge clubs, no photo shoots with David Bailey for the Richardsons. When the lurid details of their violent working methods seeped out of the old Bailey trial in 1967, the British press acted with their customary alacrity in such matters, providing a memorable moniker for the plain old Richardsons. In the popular imagination, thanks to the press, they became the torture gang. The prosecution had us believe that kangaroo courts, punishment beatings and electrodes attached from car batteries to genitalia constituted just another day behind the scenes 
at the Richardson scrapyard down Camberwell Way. Charlie Richardson was arrested on the 30th of July 1966, the day that England won the World Cup at Wembley. He always moaned that he missed the match, but in fairness to the coppers involved in his arrest, they would have missed it too. Spare a thought for them. In a criminal footnote to that football tournament, it is worth noting that the Jules Rimet World Cup trophy was nicked from a display at Westminster Central Hall. 1967 was, of course, the summer of love. Unfortunately, the groovy vibes hadn't permeated grimy old London. Up on the Holloway Road, legendary independent record producer and composer of the Tornado's worldwide hit, Telsar, Joe Meek, was facing despair and ruin. The subject of blackmail due to his sexuality. Back then, in 1967, as a gay man, Meek was a criminal in the eyes of the law. And in the midst of a plagiarism lawsuit, Meek, in the tiny flat where he created his many hits, shot his landlady dead before, in that most chilling of news clichés, turning the gun on himself. It was the 3rd of February 1967, the 8th anniversary of his hero, Buddy Holly's death. Nearby, in then Down Market Islington, in August 1967, the playwright Joe Orton was murdered by his lover and one-time mentor and collaborator, Kenneth Halliwell. Halliwell had beaten Orton to death with a hammer before taking an overdose and ending his own life. Charlie Richardson was put away for 25 years, found guilty of fraud, extortion, assault and grievous bodily harm in April 1967. In 1969, the Crays were sentenced to 30 years each for murder, at that time the longest custodial sentence ever passed at the Old Bailey. So much for so-called Swinging London. On the matter of the ultimate swing, hanging, the Richardsons and the Crays were brought to book after 1965 when capital punishment had been suspended. No pun intended. The Home Secretary of the day, James Callaghan, made the suspension permanent in 1969. <laughs> London Walks podcast was compiled, produced and presented by Andy Hallett and Adam Scott Goulding. For details of the full programme of London Walks, London's best guided walking tours, go to www.walks.com. You can follow London Walks on Twitter, at London Walks. The London Walks podcast was an APB production. <laughs>